Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode number nine, Impressions of Kuala Lumpur. Um, I came down to visit Scott here in KL this weekend, so we're doing this episode together uh, here in Kuala Lumpur. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing pretty good. It's good to record another one, and we were in the swimming pool yesterday trying to think about what we wanted to talk about, and you had sort of touched on the fact that uh, you don't think a lot of people know stuff about the city and the fact that I just crossed the one year point being here. I sold my shares in a travel business. I followed my wife here because she took a job and we've been here just over a year. So you thought it would be a good opportunity to chat about what the place is like. Yeah, because I think a lot of people don't necessarily put KL on their let's go visit their list. But I came here, you know, maybe once or twice before. And then last year I visited you in October and I really enjoyed myself here and I liked it. And so I thought, hey, you know, if I have an opportunity to come back down, uh, let's check out some more of KL. And now that you've been here a year, let's talk about why Kuala Lumpur is interesting and why people might want to come visit it. Yeah, but before we get there, our sponsors today, we are generously supported uh, by two sponsors today. The first one is Ariasom Villa, and I would say Ariasom Villa is probably the most truly boutique hotel I've been in in Thailand. I've been in quite a few cool ones. This one is uh, run by a guy, David, and his wife. It's at the back of Sukhumvit Soy 1. Her grandfather basically built the house and they've expanded onto it. And I think they have about maybe like mid-20s sort of number of rooms. And it's run by the owners. It's it's tastefully Thai decorated. It's a great place. So thank you to Aria Son Villa. Yeah, you know, I just want to say that I, I think it's a great place too. I lived on that soy, Sukhumvit Soy 1 for many years. Yeah. And it's a great neighborhood right near Bumungrad Hospital for people who want to do some medical tourism. But at the end of the soy there, it's so quiet and relaxing. Mm. And it's, it's, it's really nice. Yeah. It's on Science Ed Canal. Um, and our other sponsor today is uh, Biking Outfit. They do uh, different cycling tours around Southeast Asia and Asia at large. Is uh, Grasshopper Adventures. Yeah, Grasshopper, uh, run by a good friend of ours, Adam, but they do super high quality, just really good value for money trips. They do day trips in Bangkok, Siem Reap, Phnom Penh, Mandalay, Bagan, but then they do longer trips in countries like Laos, Vietnam, even Uzbekistan. So Grasshopper Adventures, thank you to them for uh, supporting us. So let's get back into the episode here. Yeah, I think uh, here being in Kuala Lumpur, Unlike, let's say, Bangkok and Thailand or even Cambodia with Angkor and and Singapore, which a lot of people overseas are familiar with, I think people don't really have a preconceived notion of what KL is like. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, in my 13 years running a travel company, we did a lot in Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, a little bit in Myanmar, Nepal even. And for some reason, we just never decided to try and set up over there at all or or here and I was here for a long weekend once and I mean I knew basic history but it's not like over the years I heard people come back and say like oh wow there's this thing in KL or you got to go to KL or you didn't hear bad things about it either but you just kind of somehow 
don't hear anything about it. Right. Yeah. And and on the other hand, like there are other attractions outside Malaysia, which is this beautiful country, and, and there's all sorts of great national parks and islands and stuff. And then KL is the place where you land and, and go off on your adventure. But but it does seem like it's got a really interesting history and a really unique character. Yeah, there is. It, there are a few things that make it really different from any other city in Southeast Asia. Um, the British obviously were involved here, and around 1771, they first kind of turned up. They started sort of running the show until 1957, when Malaysia achieved full independence. But as a result of their time here, kind of similar to Singapore, they brought the Tamils, or Indians, into the region to be laborers. So you have kind of one of three distinct uh, ethnicities here are the Tamils, the Indians who make up, I believe, just around 9%. And then you have the Chinese who make up about 23%, and then the Malays who make up 60%. And then you also have Orang, which are the kind of native hill tribe people at seven. So one of the very unique things here is that you have these three cultures And that makes it quite a bit different than, say, a city like Phnom Penh or Yangon or Ho Chi Minh City, where, I mean, it's just that kind of local people. So having the three ethnicities is one thing that really makes it different. Yeah, and even, uh, I believe, your security guards are from Nepal because you can chat with them a little bit in some of your Nepali, yeah? Yeah, you know, that's something that also makes this, and very similar to Singapore, different than somewhere like Bangkok or, or a city in Cambodia, is that they rely a lot on foreign labor. So, yeah, the security guard business is dominated by Nepalese. There's some Malays. But then you'll go to a food court and there'll be tons of uh, Burmese that work at those shops or Indonesians that come over here. And then it seems for maids and cleaners... Filipino. So you you really have a large foreign workforce, which you just don't kind of get in, in countries like Thailand, Laos, Vietnam. Now, I know you have some some poor people from the borders coming through for construction in those countries, but kind of full time, um, that foreign workforce definitely makes kind of the visible cultural scene here a fair bit different. Yeah. And uh, so there is quite this interesting diversity, but it doesn't seem like a really big city. How many people... Do you know roughly live in, in Kale? Yeah, it's funny because it doesn't feel as big. But the larger, they call it the Klang Valley. Now, the Klang Valley stretches all the way from the western side right along the sea, kind of into downtown Kuala Lumpur, and then along the edge of the mountains on the uh, eastern side. And it's about 5 million people that make up this large area. But it's kind of, you know, other towns and cities. You have places like Shah Alam, you have TTDI, you have Chara, Sampan, Mokir, where I am. But they've been clever enough to leave like hills covered in trees and little patches. But at 5 million, it's still a fairly significantly sized city, but it's not as densely populated as a lot of the, the other big cities in the region like Singapore or Bangkok. So there definitely is a larger feeling of space. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Bangkok still seems like a big city to me. So, like, with KL having half the population, it doesn't feel half the size. Like, in Bangkok, you can just jump on a SkyTrain and you're immediately in, in, like, the Siloam District or downtown or you can get over to the Grand Palace, the old, old city. But, but KL, I don't really understand if there is a downtown area or if there's, like, a happening shopping district or, or what, it, what it's like. Yeah, we'll get into specific areas in a bit, but it is a terribly confusing city in that there's little hills everywhere around this city. And if if you look, you'll see buildings on these hills, and it seems they've built 
all these freeways. And the freeways, I swear, don't have any straight bits in them. They all curve around the hills. They all connect by on and off ramps. And consequently, when you're on the roads, you're twisted and turned around a lot really quickly. And it's tough to kind of know where you are in relation to downtown. So yes, there is a downtown core, which is worth exploring. But then there's all these other areas that have built up with high rises like Bangsar or Mid Valley City or KL Central, which is just on the edge of downtown, but it's its own little enclave of buildings. So you shouldn't feel confused as to why you don't know where you are because you know what, when I drive around, I still don't know where I am or where I've just come from and I need to use ways. It's just not that kind of grid system, north, south, east, west oriented city. But is there a good like electric rail system or buses or good convenient taxis like yeah, it's it's not the best city for public transport, although they have three different train systems, which do integrate, and I, I guess it depends on where you set up, say, your hotel or your, your home. If you are close to a station that then goes close to where you go to work, it works pretty good. If you're going around the downtown core, you can stick to one train system usually. They do integrate reasonably well, but it is a city of taxis, too. If you really need to go from point A to point B, sometimes it can be three train rides. Like for me, I would have to take a train or a taxi three kilometers to the train and then take two to three trains depending where I wanted to go downtown. So in a certain area, pretty easy on train, but this is a city where you're going to have to probably take taxi for sure. I know the taxis reasonably. Like I, I remembered, I like the conversion and, and the money is just like kind of a factor of 10 with Thailand, so it's easy for me to understand. But we haven't taken a lot of cabs this trip, so are they around the same cost? Yeah, they're more than Thailand, the taxis, but compared to Western places, it's, I mean, still a bargain. But you get just over three ringgit to one US dollar. And the taxi cabs here, actually, in a recent TripAdvisor poll, um, now I don't know how they picked the countries in the world, but they got the third worst of any kind of tourist country or city in the world, Kuala Lumpur taxis, A, because their cars are protons, which are locally made cars, which aren't great. They tend to be old. Uh, The drivers aren't friendly, and they rarely want to use the meter. So this is a city where even though there's signs on the cab that says, must go by meter, you often, especially leaving downtown, will find one that won't take you. So it's pretty easy to spend 20 ringgit. So that's maybe just less than 7 US to go four or five K downtown because they know they have you Um, and fares go up by 50% after midnight. So from midnight to 6 AM, you pay a 50% surplus. So if you are out drinking, enjoying some nightlife, you're going to have to bank on at least 50% more getting home. And that's say $10 US. Hmm. So still not that expensive. Well, we were out late night drinking last night after midnight. And, I don't uh, remember. Yeah. And, <laughs> but I do remember is that before we needed to worry about how we were going to get home, uh, there's some pretty good late night food in KL. Yeah. Now, one of the neat things here about, I think this ties into the call to prayer. And for Malays, technically could go up to five times a day. So you get lots of mamak, they are called. Uh, shops and these are indians that usually run them but they're halal so they'll have lamb maybe a bit of beef lots of chicken but lots of those even in suburban areas tend to be open 24 hours a day so you can get the drunken late night burger stand in the bar area and you can get late night chinese and some late night malay but the really common late night food tends to be this mamak which is indian food with kind of a malay twist and it's halal. So last night we were having something called roti chanai, which is really light, fluffy, kind of like a lighter, fluffier nan bread. 
and you'll dip it into dal, and you can have it with roast chicken. And yeah, so it's pretty easy to get those late night snacks sorted fairly cheaply and in a tasty fashion. Yeah, we had a good feast last night. Yeah, and we I, nailed it. And and again, maybe Malaysia and KL isn't famous for its food, but again, because of the cultural diversity, there there is a good selection of different styles of food. And we didn't touch on how many expats there were here or not, but but there's a pretty good expatriate kind of scene. And, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, the local KL residents, like their middle, middle, upper class, kind of like the pub culture a bit and like normal Western style bars. So there, there's definitely that kind of food and drink, too. So there is a really good mix of diversity of food in the city. And Kale's a pretty modern place. So, I mean, whether you want nice Italian or you want a sandwich shop or we nailed a really great gourmet burger last night, all of that is here. And I'd say actually to sit down at a casual restaurant is cheaper here than somewhere like Bangkok, which is quite funny. Like you can, for 7 or $8, have like a really nice burger or a plate of pasta. Uh, conversely, though, what we'll call a little street food is more here than it is in Thailand. But you get a lot of varieties. So we touched on the three um, very distinct ethnicities here, and you get a good mix of foods. You can get Malay restaurants. You can get Indian and Tamil restaurants everywhere. And you can also get Chinese. So when you need some pork fixings, you tend to go to a food area with little Chinese food court. And as a result, you won't see any Malays at those food courts because uh, they serve pork. So you have a pretty neat kind of day-to-day on the way home from work quick eat variety with those three but then if you want to get out and actually have japanese or italian or something there's a really great range of that at pretty darn good prices too so the eating is good another great thing about kl uh, that is sort of similar to singapore in concept is the green space and outdoors now There's no question that KL is currently having some of its green spaces cut down and there's a lot of competition to build condos and whatnot, but they have tried to model themselves a bit after Singapore in the respect of being a garden city. So when you do look out on the cityscape here compared to, you know, Ho Chi Minh or Phnom Penh and things, there's greenery everywhere. And you'll see the little hills that they've kept trees on them. And along the highways, there's still greenery so just that nice green space it's got to help the you know asian air which in southeast asia can be pretty bad in big cities um, that's a real nice factor and then it lends itself to to the outdoor climate as well yeah you know i haven't really explored any of the parks but obviously again with all the hills you can tell that there's lots of trees on top of them and uh, you can also see a bit of the haze from uh, mm. ironically cut, trees being cut down and burned in, in neighboring indonesia and probably in parts of malaysia as well so you do kind of get this smoggy you know kind of burning stuff so so it's good to have the trees to sort of maybe uh-huh. offset that a little bit i i hope Yeah, well, talking about the haze, there's a couple seasons here where they always blame it on uh, people in Sumatra. And actually, they're cutting down and burning forests there to grow palm oil, which ironically tend to be owned by Malaysian companies that are operating over there. But let's put the smoke that blows in uh, a bit more than we'd like aside. Um, There's a pretty good kind of scene of hiking and and mountain biking here within the city and of course tons outside of the city but areas like Bukit Kiara which are right next to our place here that we mountain bike in are great Uh, you've got Frin the Forestry Research Institute of Malaysia which has a little canopy walk it's literally in the city and then you have areas like Kota Damansara which have a really kind of 
pretty passionate community scene of people that are trying to build trails out there. So within the city or just outside, there's definitely some really kind of world-class hiking trails, mountain biking trails. And I was telling you earlier, how just here at Bukit Kiara, I mean, there's monkeys every ride. I saw a couple small snakes. Some guy saw a big python the other night. So that's right here in the city. Yeah, birds too, I hear. Because I, I guess there's a really spectacular bird park in the downtown area. But I think that's part of because there is this great wildlife in Malaysia that's not way outside the city. These All these animals, these birds are living in the hills within and around the city as well. Um, now, although a lot of these hilltops are covered with trees lots of them are covered with with buildings as well and i know from from your view up here there's a lot of very generic drab high-rise suburbs if you will i guess that aren't very inspiring like i i haven't seen really many spectacular sky rises per se but Mm -hmm. but you claim that there's actually a pretty interesting diverse diversity of architecture around the city at large yeah, you know, there there is, and you can see it pretty much anywhere in the city, but especially if you go downtown and explore, you're left with a pretty neat mix that almost could, could tell the story of the city's development. If you were to, say, read up on a bit or take a guidebook, and that's that you have really beautiful colonial buildings from when the British were here. They brought their architecture with them. A lot of buildings actually combine some Islamic design with British design. So, like, the old train station here is fantastic. And then that area just has a lot of really really beautiful buildings. But then you'll even get, of course, mosques like the National Mosque downtown or even the Provincial Mosque out our way. Like you get some absolutely spectacular mosques. And then there's a number of modern uh, skyscrapers downtown that have a little bit of Islamic design in them. So you look at them and you're like, oh, okay, I see that they didn't just make it glass. They kind of put a little kind of religious you know, tilt on it. And then you end up with some Indian stuff too. You see a lot of Indian temples right downtown and then turn the corner and you're in Chinatown and you have all the kind of like two level little shop houses with Chinese roofs and that. So you might have to hunt for it a wee bit more, but I'll almost argue that if you were to walk downtown KL, you probably get more styles than almost any other city in Southeast Asia. Between the three ethnicities, and then you throw the British in there, and then the combination of all of them, you really get quite a quite a mix. Yeah, so I mean, one one building that probably everybody knows is the Patronus Twin Towers, which were once the, the largest buildings in the world. So yeah. then maybe it's worth uh, going up to the top of the tower just for the view. You know, maybe the view is pretty interesting. It's a tricky one. Those tickets, they only sell so many per day, and you actually have to get there about eight in the morning. You can also book online, But I think by 8.30 in the morning, all the tickets for that day are already sold. And then keep in mind, too, is it going to be a clear day? Like if it's kind of smoggy with smoke, um, a few months ago we had a lot of this smoke blowing in. And I was downtown at Patronus and I saw people buying tickets for the next day. And I sort of thought like, man, the wind can change directions. But unless it's a clear day... No, not really worth it. But, I mean, if it's clear, hey, it's, a, it's quite a spectacular building to go up and, and have a look. It is neat to have a vantage point to see how it's all laid out. Yeah. But, again, you and I are more, like, down on the street people, perhaps, uh, yeah. exploring yeah. neighborhoods and whatnot, rather than uh, paying for some touristy trip up an escalator or an elevator. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, let's talk a bit about that, like exploring different neighborhoods, having the cultural diversity. Uh, what's it like uh, in interacting with some of the people here? Well, interacting with locals, it's – I don't want to paint a bad picture of them. They're really nice, but they're almost a little more Western. Like I think part of the great appeal that lasts 
with people in places like Laos or places like Thailand or Cambodia is that they feel the people are so friendly and it's because they just smile and I think also because not a lot of them speak English so well. So the compensation is just smiling all the time and nodding and just appearing super friendly. Whereas part of the what the British left were people that were educated under the British system and that learned English. And I think as a result, they're just they can talk to you in your native tongue as well as you can. And they're just much more business and to the point. So you won't be bombarded with those really friendly smiles or maybe moments that feel special and really nice because you couldn't communicate with each other like they'll just turn to you and deliver the straight goods and they're just they're just more frank and to the point like westerners almost so there's maybe that not that super super friendly edge feeling yeah we actually didn't talk touch on that earlier about the fact that just about everyone here can speak english and uh, and that does definitely make it a different experience. You go out to a restaurant, mm-hmm. and I know you know in in Cambodia you're like, oh, I want the salad dressing on the side, and and does this does the sauce come with with gluten, and I can't eat yeah. gluten like that type of thing seems like it could be possible in a Malaysian restaurant because they they totally can communicate with you a hundred percent, and and that might be a fair trade off for them being more business like. But maybe that's just because they're at work. You know, people at work are going to treat you a different way. Um, are there any opportunities? to interact with people on a more social friendly level we went to that one night market i remember in like kind of an indian neighborhood yeah now uh that's down near the where the rivers uh, connect here and kuala lumpur actually means the place where the two rivers connect and the oldest mosque in the city is right there matzit jamek and just uh east of there on saturday nights there's a really neat market just on the southern edge of little india just east of the Matsit Jamek station, and uh, it's well worth exploring. Lots of food and uh, uh, Despicable Me balloons. And yeah, all we were down there for stuff. my birthday yeah, last year, and we got the Despicable Me balloon. And maybe it was because of that, but I felt a good vibe from all the people down there, you know. And and that's kind of maybe the the very foreign feeling that that. It maybe American people would feel uncomfortable with, you know, like, because there's mosques and, and there are Muslim people and everything like that. But that was really friendly, and I got lots of smiles down there, and it seemed like people just were happy to, to have a good time and, and have me included in that good time. Yeah, people are friendly. And, and kind of the last point to this uh, section of the podcast is it is a bit more dangerous of a city than other Southeast Asian cities. And now places, you know, like Bangkok, Chiang Mai, even Phnom Penh in Cambodia and Ho Chi Minh City, are like pickpocketing and, and theft and, and being mugged is uncommon. I've personally not experienced any problems here, but from the moment we moved here, you hear lots of stories from locals about, you know, my wife's aunt was carjacked one time. Um, I know like the fi- or the trade commissioner here from Canada, he was mugged once on the way home from work. And you read stories of purse snatchings of the other day, actually a scam I heard of, you'll be driving your car on the highway Someone on a motorbike points to your car like something's wrong and you pull over and then they rob you at knife or gunpoint. So I, I think if you're if you use a lot of common sense and be careful, you'll be OK. But it is definitely a city where like, you know, you should walk with a buddy at night. You definitely there there is some crime and it's just general kind of petty theft that exists. But otherwise, people are, are pretty nice and and it's a nice place to explore overall. Yeah, well, you know, and we went out at, at night and and I do think, you know, 
there is some crime in Phnom Penh and, and in Ho Chi Minh City. So my natural tendency is just kind of to have my guard up when I'm out on, on the town. But we were out last night. What was the neighborhood called where we went out for drinks last night? Yeah, they've sort of concentrated a lot of the nightlife in this city and area called Changkat Bukit Bintang. And we were just off that on a street called Nagasari. And there's sort of a few neat little pubs and restaurants down that side street. And we were at a place called No Black Tie, which... Uh, ashamedly took me a year to get to, but it's sort of known as the premier jazz live music place in the city, and, and it was really cool. Yeah, we saw this excellent singer, Evelyn Feroza Fernandez and friends, and, and her guitar player, Dean, was awesome. And the, the venue just had such good acoustics, yeah. and it was really classy. Like, the, the, the meal we had beforehand was great, and it was just such a really cool night out. And, and I felt that that neighborhood was really relatively safe like I felt safe there and there was all these other like walking distance other bars and clubs and pubs and it Mm. seemed like uh you know I I like the fact that everything was in walking distance and conveniently close and and did feel safe yeah I mean there's a pretty good mix for for what is a Muslim country in a Muslim city where you know the vast majority of people don't drink there's still quite a good nightlife scene there's everything from your high so rooftop bars to, you know, you can see live music like we did last night. There's English pubs. There's a bit of a market at the moment for speakeasies. Like, you know, literally we've been to a couple which are documented in a map called Groovy Map, which I researched and wrote. But they don't have any signs in front and there's just like a door and you cool. go behind and there's, you know, people there. But that area you mentioned, like No Black Tie is great. Go next door. There's a place called Pisco Bar, which actually does pretty good sort of you know, Spanish, Mexican, South American influenced food. They have dancing too. Yeah, they have dancing. A great place just next door again is Taps that imports. They'll easily have usually 10 to a dozen really unique craft beers on tap. So so there is a pretty good good night scene that way. There, there is something for everyone. Okay. So then if someone was going to come and visit here, uh, what do you think would be like some different neighborhoods they might want to stay in? Yeah, kind of the stuff, you know, that The Lonely Planet or the other books recommend. But so ones that are really worthwhile, Chinatown here, um, not quite as awesome as Chinatown's maybe in other cities, but it's good for a couple hours. The Central Market there, while it has a lot of tourist type goods, I don't think you can do a whole lot better to find some souvenirs than that place and it's air con so it's kind of a nice break then you can just walk north of there and hit little india which is quite a neat area or vice versa so you can go little india to chinatown and we kind of mentioned earlier we touched on it very quickly that walking is a little tough in this city some of the areas are sort of separated by freeways but those two areas you can hook up uh, really well. Then another area that's good for at least half a day is the National Mosque. And it's a beautiful mosque in its own right. And right next door is the Islamic Arts Museum, which I'm not even really an artsy kind of guy, but it was really quite beautiful for an hour and a half. And then right next to it again is the Lake Gardens Park, which is a pretty sizable park to stroll, have a jog. And then there's also the Butterfly and Bird Park. So this just sort of right on the west side of the downtown core, and it still would be in the core, are all those things, and that that really makes for a nice visit. I feel like I need a groovy map right now to look at while you're explaining all this so I can plan out <laughs> like a, you know? Like, I, I, I'm a big map guy, and I love maps, yeah, and, and you're talking about all these cool different things, and it does sound like there are a couple of neighborhoods that you could do walking tours of and see quite a lot of uh, interesting sites. Yeah, you could, and you know what? I, I guess I'm a bit biased because I did uh, help research and write the latest groovy map edition, but it was a great way to get to know the city for us, too, having just yeah. arrived. And a couple other quick favorites I'll just highlight there is uh, drinks. 
uh, a place called Heli Lounge. It's right by the Raja Chulan train station. Uh, you went there last time we were here, and it's one of the usually rooftop bars are fancy. You got to dress up. Yeah, it's exorbitantly expensive. That one they have like lawn chair furniture on a helicopter pad, probably like twenty five flights up, and drinks are are like twenty ringgit each for a pint of Guinness or a cocktail, and that's really reasonably priced. That's six fifty US. Yeah, it was funny too because like everybody's going there like for like maybe sunset pre drinks on the town, so people yeah. are dressed up kind of nice, but then they're sitting on like these folding card table chairs and. It's it's kind of a it's it's interesting. It, it kind of that almost sums up what kale is to me. It's like it's almost sophisticated, but it's not quite as snazzy and classy and like Bangkok nightlife scene is. Let's say. Yeah, it definitely lacks a bit of exoticness that a lot of other say Southeast Asian cities have. It lacks kind of a, a heartbeat, I think. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but I was talking with a couple foreigners that live here and we were trying to identify maybe what's missing compared to really, really other vibrant cities. But I think while the things to see and the real energy and the magic, it's just not as obvious here. You've got to kind of seek out a location or a spot and you've got to go and, and maybe read up a bit and really walk around and stop and look. But there is a neat mishmash of old cool traditional things mixed with very modern things they are extremely proud of Kuala Lumpur and how they've in the last 20 years advanced you know the building of the Petronas Towers were, were a show of that the new airport the KL Manara KL the tower on its own but there is some old neat stuff mixed in there some great new stuff some really nice green space uh, culturally very interesting and some fantastic food too. So you could do a lot worse than spending a few days in KL. Yeah, and uh, you're headed off to the Perhension Islands, which are way up in the the northeast in in about a week, right? Yeah. And and I've traveled down the entire east coast of of Malaysia and done some of the inland stuff, and and you've done some of the national parks in the center too, I believe. So like Malaysia's got a lot of great things that we're probably going to talk about in the future. Yeah. And since you're going to be flying through KL anyway, I think mm. I'm going to come back. Again. Again, because it seems like there's some cool things more to check out here and, and that show last night just convinced me that there's a fun nightlife in the city so i say yeah if you're planning a trip stay in kl for a few days it's not a bad place for a few days there's definitely more exciting cities but hey with especially with air asia which is the regional discount airline that's easily the biggest tons of their flights go through kl so hey if you can manage a couple days uh, yeah it's a pretty fun time so I think that uh, I don't have much more to share on impressions of KL. Thank you for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. Remember, links to things we've talked about, like the bars, the restaurants, some of the parks, those are on our show notes on the website. So this is Scott Coates Say thank you for joining us. Hey, and this is Trevor saying uh, thank you, Scott, for hosting me here in Kuala Lumpur. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and 